sweat the technique. You're listening to The Killer Bees with Joel Blank and Jeremy Brannon. On ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Hey, two in the books, one to go. Final hour of the show, Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, 92.5 FM. Jeremy off to do some Cougars basketball, so we've got uh, two of the remaining bees still in the hive. It's Joel Blank and Brian McDonald as we take you all the way till 6 p.m. Lots to still get to, but to kind of carry over before we get to anything else, BMAC, the one question I was going to ask you based on all the things we were talking about with those projections with the Astros is we were talking about realistic, unrealistic. Now let's talk about just overall concern level. Are you more concerned that Kyle Tucker will struggle to bounce back based on his playoff performance last year, or are you more concerned with Alex Bregman pressing 23 extra pounds, trying to do too much because of the contract, and actually falling off? Yeah, I think I would lean Bregman. I have I don't really have any concerns on Kyle Tucker. He he doesn't seem like someone who lacks confidence, and that would be the only reason I could see Kyle Tucker falling off. I don't think anything was broken with him. We're talking about what an eleven game stretch that, that, that where he where he didn't play well. If that happened in June, we wouldn't think anything sure. of it. It just happened obviously at the worst possible time for the Houston Astros last year. So I don't think Kyle anything's broken with Kyle Tucker. I I wouldn't. I'm not really concerned at all about him falling off, but as you pointed out with Bregman's contract status, what I I can think I, w- I what I would be most concerned about not necessarily the weight, but if he changes his approach at all, trying mm-hmm. to produce contract numbers essentially. Well, if, he, if he's not sitting on if he's if he's changing his approach, he's not sitting on the close pitches, you know, and, and waiting for his inside pitch that he likes to pull into the Crawford boxes and messing with that approach, maybe swinging at pitches he didn't used to swing at trying to you know boost his home run total trying to boost his RBI total maybe that takes his uh, or has his stats take a hit and I'd be a little concerned about but, but that. here's the thing Brad I gave you the two most fromber like emotional possibilities in the offensive lineup as opposed to fromber's mental issues of the uh-huh. past with pitching staff I think you saw Tucker yeah it was a small sample size yeah it wasn't great but you're not really concerned uh, but think about how many times Batting gloves, no batting gloves. He's you know he's in his own head a lot when he when he's sure. struggling. You see the emotions, you see the spiking of the helmet, the slamming of the bat, the frustration level, uh, and so I throw that into the mix with a guy like Bregman that seems to have always been good with the fact that the the law of averages is going to catch up with his eye. He doesn't tinker too much. Yeah, he watches a lot of video, but the swing was always staying the same. Last year he tinkered and he started to tinker a lot and make changes and changes mid season. And adjustment. I'm just curious because he's going to be in hyper pressing mode because of this contract. I believe that we're going to see more tinkering. So we're going to see less selectiveness at the plate. We're going to see a little bit more than we didn't want to see in terms of maybe jumping at pitches instead of being who he normally has been trying to put up power numbers. Those are the two guys that concern me the most. It sounds like you're more concerned with Bregman. I, I definitely am because I just think, look, it's unrealistic the numbers that he's that the, the the rumors are out there that he's chasing. It's unrealistic that he's going to have a season like he had. What was it, nineteen, 19 or whatever? He hit over forty when he had run. his MVP yeah. type season. Uh, I just think that realistically, if Alex Bregman, if if he was in the middle of a five year contract and he could just settle into being who he is now, he'd be the perfect answer for this team. I'm concerned because of the fact that he's playing to get paid, and that really, where with some of the things I've seen, gives me some concern. Maybe if if, if that is a concern, and obviously there's no way to know if the Astros and Joe Espada share that concern, but if they did, 
I think that does lend credence to possibly batting Bregman first because if you put him, uh, you know, third or fourth with you know coming after Altuve and coming after either Jordan or Tucker, then you're going to put him in a spot where he's thinking drive and run, drive and run, drive and runs. Whereas if you're coming up before those guys and he's really the mindset is get on base, get on base, then maybe that locks him into the type of mindset at the plate that we'd like to see, where he's still selective, he's not chasing pitches and waiting for the pitch inside that he likes to pull. Here's the other thing that I'm going to throw at you with all that. Because of the fact that it's a contract year and he's trying to compare his numbers, that's why I don't think he wants to bat leadoff. Because I think that if you move him to leadoff, the RBIs go down, his power numbers probably go down, and I think that that would be a concern for him and his agent because of this year being what it is. It's possible. I mean, Biggio and Altuve, obviously, are still guys that have hit Springer as well. I mean, but, but Altuve, at this point in his career, has more pop, I think, than Bregman. Uh, yeah, I definitely think he has more bat speed. That's that's for sure. The ex, the, the average exit velocity, I would, I would, I haven't looked it up, but it would seem to be on Altuve's side as well. I still think Bregman can have home run totals, you know, in the maybe mid-20s that would still be able to put him in a spot where he could get a contract that he wants. But, yeah, if he hits leadoff, then the RBI total is yeah, going down, down, and that would definitely be a concern. But it could mean his batting average goes up. So I guess it, you know, depends on what you want to boost. But I think if you're hitting leadoff, then maybe your average boost. If you hit third or fourth in your RBI boost, there would be up to him and his agent to determine what would and be it, best for contract. But it's a contract. tough predicament but, to be in because of the contract to yeah. say, hey, look, pay me what I'm capable of doing wherever you want me to hit in your lineup, but don't penalize me because I batted leadoff or don't penalize me because my power numbers were this or that. That's why I think he doesn't want to bat leadoff. Yeah, it's tough. You mentioned like pay me on what I'm capable of doing. That'll be really interesting to see if he does hit the open market because the idea of pay me what I'm capable of doing, we're what, five years removed from that at this point? Yeah, but like, like what he wants is be, to be paid based on 2018-2019 numbers, but that's a long... We didn't know what COVID was the last time he was that player, See, so it's just so long ago. The thing is, too, when you look at it, his best years are behind him, in my mind. Oh, yeah. And now the defense is going to start to dwindle a little bit, too. It's just natural with age. Like, his range, his arm, I don't know his, if glo- his glove's probably going to be good. I don't know if I would say it would dwindle, like, now, but certainly, start to. certainly before that next contract is over. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if you're looking for a long-term deal, teams are going to look at this and go, I don't expect his defense is going to maintain or go up. I don't think his offensive numbers are going to maintain or go up. But his salary in terms of years and money and AAV is going to go. He wants it to go up. And that's a hard proposition for a lot of teams to, to, to put in play. Yeah, and, I, and look, and I'll, I'll go back to my, my cash or trash it. I think what we've talked about is part of the reason why he might be looking at missing out uh, on on like the, what the market offers. I don't know if they're going to offer the you know five, six-year, seven-year contract that he's hoping for. He might have to settle for something similar to what Cody Bellinger got, the three years, $80 because like Bellinger, Bellinger had a hot stretch where he was, you know, an MVP uh, around the same time as Bregman, then had a, you know, three, four year drop off where his numbers really cratered before bouncing up last year and hitting over 300 and really playing well for the Chicago Cubs. So might, he might be in a situation where he has to take a shorter term deal to prove he's still that player before he gets but the longer he, term But if he signs deal. for three, he's not getting anything longer than that the rest of his career. Well, it could be something like Correa where it's a three-year deal, but there's opt-out after one. And he, if he hits really well yeah. in year one, then he can opt-out. And that, hap- that happened for Correa 
deal where he, I think it was like a three-year, $101 million. He opted out after year one and then got a $200 million contract. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if he can actually put the numbers up to, to live up to that to try and get a longer-term deal because, like I said, he's not getting younger. He's not the most athletic specimen speed-wise or just physicality anyway. Uh, and it's going to be challenging for him to get what he wants. And you look at a guy like Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman is one of the best defensive third baseman in baseball, along with Arenado. Uh, he's still sitting out there. He, you know, another, he, another Boris guy. Yeah and, yeah, and 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 so if he's a Boris guy and he's still sitting out there, and, and camp opens up, it's realistic to think Bregman A is probably not going to get what he's looking for, and B might be in the exact same predicament a year from now when he's looking for a new team, looking for big money. Camp is going to open up for a lot of teams, and he's not getting the offers that he's expecting. And I don't know how much he's going to budge. Yeah, especially like I mean, I think you can directly relate what Matt, uh, what Chapman's going through to what you can expect for Bregman because it's not like Bregman is a significantly better player than Chapman. Right. Uh, you might even argue Chapman is better in some way, especially with the gloves. So if Chapman has to settle for a one two year deal, uh, you know, this late into camp at this point, I don't see why Alex Bregman could expect his situation to go all that differently. No, you're absolutely right. So that, that'll wrap up uh, Astros talk for a little bit here, but I wanted to get that in because I think it's going to be an interesting situation to watch play out with both guys. I'm with you. I, I think Tucker, especially with the bats around him, is going to be fine. I, I, I just wish he was a little less in his own head sometimes. But I think the Bregman situation, especially putting on 20-some pounds, there's just a That'll lot. Be very that, interesting. There's a go, lot that says to me that yeah. it could go wrong. It, it, it's either like Jeremy has pointed out, and like the last time he added weight, he got injured. It's either that, or maybe improves his power numbers. It could. I, it, it could go either way. It'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. Absolutely. Okay. Now let's move on to the Texans. Let's get to see some situations out there that are out there that maybe you might be willing to consider. We've got a couple of players for you on the board. Which of these guys, five in total? Would you be willing to trade for? We're going to get to that next as we continue to roll on. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 FM. Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees with Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. On ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Roll up to the final hour of the show. Jeremy Branham off to do Cougars basketball, a somewhat big one. All of them are at this point when you're the number one team in the land playing the Cincinnati Bearcats tonight. That should be fun to watch. But before that, fun be fun to listen to us up until 6 o'clock. BMAC and I having some in-depth Astros conversation previously before we wrap that up. Got a couple of text messages. Uh, someone says... Uh, if Yiner puts up the numbers that was projected, he'll be the best catcher in baseball. Well, I think Atlee Rushman would probably have a word, but I'll take that if that is the case. But I think he's capable of having those kind of numbers. Uh, someone else said Altuve will definitely be a higher batting average than 280, especially if Jordan is protecting him batting second. Uh, obviously a good point there. Um, and, and then someone else says, I don't want to see pop-up Machine Bregman coming back again. That's a fear I have because he got he started to tweak his swing a lot. And I think he's going to be chasing power numbers this year, especially putting on that much weight. That tells me, to your point, he's looking to bulk up to try and and hit the ball further. If I if I were to try to positive spin it, and I, and I don't disagree with what you're saying, but if I were to positive spin it, I would say maybe he's trying to stay healthier. I don't know if that'll actually have the effect that he that he wants. As Jeremy's pointed out, the last time he bulked up, he did, 
did end up mm-hmm. getting hurt. But usually players, you know, one of two reasons you bulk up is either to maybe withstand the rigors of a long season or it is to add more power to your game. So maybe it is uh, to try to stay healthier. But, yeah, I mean, and, but I think that's kind of why I like Bregman leading off, uh, having the ability to get the walk and get on base because what we saw, not only did we see some pop-ups, we also saw him be near the top of the league and grounding into double play. So I don't really want him hitting third or fourth coming up coming up to the plate with Jordan or Tucker or Altuve, you know, already occupying, you know, a couple of the bases and then he grounds into the double play and ends the inning. So I'd rather have him up first and use like his one super ability is to draw walks. And so I think that would be best suited to hit leadoff. Well and I also think that his ability is to just not swing at bad pitches, which allows him and to be translates more to the walks. Yeah. yeah. And it also translates to hitting better pitches when he actually gets them. In so, theory. Yeah, I don't want him to be anxious or, or, or overzealous trying to hit power numbers, but we'll see how it plays out. All right, I teased this before we got into uh, a couple extra comments on the Astros, and that is with the Texans looking to improve, and you and I have talked about some of this before, we've got five stars, and which of these would you be most willing to trade for if you're the Houston Texans, okay? So the first one is Justin Jefferson. We, we You and I have discussed this in the past. Unrestricted free agent next year. Projection is four years and $117 million. The biggest thing to me is on the plus side, Justin Jefferson would be an unbelievable weapon for C.J. Stroud, and if you locked him up, he could be there for the foreseeable future, and you don't have to pay big quarterback money yet, so you could conceivably find a way to make this work. The bad news would be with free agency around the corner, it's going to be interesting how Minnesota handles this and which Minnesota team are they going to try and compete or are they going to complete the reset button. Their GM came out today and said, we haven't even thought about trading him yet, but if they did, the fact that you not only have to give up draft capital and other things to get him, but on top of that, would have to pay him top of the market. He said he wants to break the bank. He wants to go for every dollar as the number one wide receiver in football. That's a scary proposition if you're the Texans. Yeah, and that's the reason I'd be out. Like, I could almost wrap my head around the money because of how great he is, and you'd unquestionably have the best possible group of targets for C.J. Stroud in this Texans offense. But what scares me on this is, like you said, you'd have to trade for him. And I think you're talking for a player of that caliber, his age, like unquestionably to me, the best wide receiver in the league, and he's, I believe, still under 25 years old, uh, might even be like 23, 24. You're talking probably about giving up multiple first-round picks. Yeah. And if, if that's the case, and I don't see how it's not, I'm completely out on Justin Jefferson at that point. I, I'm fascinated and intrigued by what this offense would look like with Jefferson, uh, Nico Collins, and Tank, and Tank Dell. But the idea of giving up, I would say it's at least a first and a second. It's probably oh, multiple, no doubt. It's probably multiple first. And on either scenario, uh, I, I would be completely out on the idea of trading for Justin Jefferson at that point. Stephon Diggs. He's 30 years old. He's got three years left. The dead cap of 22 mil. And the fact to me, I think locker room wise, he's just not a fit. The last thing I need for my quarterback, who I who is still getting, you know, Philly truly fitting into being the, the the franchise in terms of he doesn't need the distractions in the locker room. He doesn't need the overly diva complacent. If you don't give me the football, I'm pissed off all the time. The guy and digs. I, I just I don't need him on my roster. Yeah, that would be the – I think he might be, you know, a good soldier year one. But though I do share your concerns, especially coming here where there's going to be a lot of targets going to Nico and to Tank Dell, how does he react to having to share the ball 
with two other capable wide receivers. I think I think it's probably a mood issue because with the dead cap of twenty two million, I just don't see how the Bills decide to eat that. Uh, but I, it's interesting because I had I had Diggs in in one of my fantasy leagues, and his numbers absolutely cratered second half of the season. But it was partly because the Bills changed their offensive coordinator and started running the ball with James Cook a lot lot more. So I don't necessarily think he's lost any, even though he's at age thirty, and I'm sure a lot of people would look at that age and that would be their first concern. I don't think he's lost any, but I would be concerned about not only I just the salary. Don't like, I don't want to deal with all the extra. Yeah, it's like if, if Nico and Tank, you know, one one game are getting five and six catches and Stefan Diggs is left with three, can he handle that? And then his his track record says probably not. All right, so the last offensive player is Brandon Ayuk. One year left, projecting four years, $91 million. Yeah. There's another guy that you got to give up assets and then you're going to have to pay, and you're going to have to pay him pretty quickly. I just I, I don't know that you can't deal with the receivers you have, possibly pick another one up in the draft, and or some of these guys we've been talking about that are reasonably priced free agents, um, that, that you need a guy like Ayuk. Sure, he'd be a great fit, and I think that he could. He's, I think he is fully capable of taking it up a notch, I just don't want to pay him the money and give up the the prospects. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to see. I, my my answer to this is probably entirely dependent upon what the 49ers would ask for. It's certainly a a, a lesser price than Justin Jefferson. Uh, if if it doesn't include a first round pick, I think I would at least kick the tires on it. I'm fine with the salary, especially since I mean ob- this is the obvious statement of the year. He's coming from the exact same offense, pretty much. He's coming from an offense that he's used to coming into this offense with Bobby Sloak, who obviously con- uh, coached under Kyle Shanahan. And I think he's a different type of receiver than both Tank and Nico. So I don't think you're like, we talked about, you know, some of the redundancy of like a Michael Pittman and Nico Collins earlier. I don't think you have that concern with Ayuk. So if the compensation is less than a first round pick, I'd be in on Ayuk. Well, the big thing with San Francisco is they got salary issues now. Sure. They've got a, and they've already, they're already paying Debo to where I don't know that they can afford to pay two big time receivers, big time money. So maybe they got to dump out. If they're dumping out, maybe they take less just to get him off the books, even though he's been effective for them and it is the last year of his deal. So that'll be interesting. Let's switch, uh, switch gears real quick on the defensive side of the football. Defensive tackle Derek Brown of the Panthers, 25 years old. He's making 11 this year. Had a, His career high is three sacks. Yeah, he's, he's not a pass rusher. He's a defensive tackle, though, and that's what D'Amico said he wanted to upgrade. Yeah, the the intriguing thing to me, uh, uh, or at least the most intriguing thing, is just the age. Like you get him, and especially compared to guys like Diggs or the other name with here with Hassan Reddick, you're not asking to ask the question like, okay, how much does he have left? Like whatever you think he has now, he's 25. He's still got it. He's not. A but what does he rush- have? Because you say how much does he have left? But can he be the kind of defensive tackle that D'Amico is looking for when he says he wants to upgrade? The run, the run stoppage. Yeah, I, I think he. I think he. I don't think he could. Don, I'd rather go with. I'd rather take the the path of drafting Byron Murphy. So mm-hmm. I would probably be out on Derek Brown and Hassan Reddick just to combo this. And I know Reddick's not a defensive tackle, but both guys that would be playing up front. Uh, I would rather go a little somewhere else, especially since Reddick. Um, skipping ahead to him, he's uh, his projected value after the one year that he has left, and he's already twenty nine. His projected value after the one year he has left this season is three years, forty seven million, which would be starting at age thirty, and I'd be completely out on that. So yeah. I would trust the Texans and D'Amico's evaluation on Derek Brown if they think he's the type of run stuffer that they've been seeking. 
uh, especially the age 25, I'd be, I'd be fine with that. But I think I'd rather them go with the Byron Murphy path in the draft. Yeah, I would go Murphy in the draft. And then if I'm looking past rusher and or linebackers and I'm looking for things like that, I think the cap casualties I keep saying is going to be where the Clue Texans Mac. can you really cash in. Mac could get cut. Shaq Barrett got cut today. There's going to be some other guys. Watch the other Tampa Bay linebackers that are out there, depending on how the market treats them as, as opposed to the highest of the high end kind of, you know, big time defenders. It's going to be interesting because I think a lot of teams, that's where you're going to get a lot of guys to look at the Texans going, I love the situation. I love the defensive minded head coach. I love the fact that they, they have a quarterback and that I want to fit in there. I think you could get value and take it up a notch in terms of productivity by looking at the cap casualties as opposed to the trades. So quickly, before before we get to break, if you had to pick one of these names, and my name is Ayuk, but if you had to pick one of these names and make the trade, who, who are you trading for? Yeah, to me, you know, and then the money matters, obviously, but I think that I would love to have Justin Jefferson. I just don't want to pay the ransom that I think that they're going to look for. And I think I'm with you. I think I don't want Diggs because of the attitude. Ayuk still has plenty left in the tank. He's physical. He's strong. He, he's not afraid to make the tough catch. And I think that he's looking for an opportunity to kind of get the ball a little bit more. And I think they would they would frequent him. So I I, I would probably lean Ayuk as well. All right. So that's that's the five to five thirty half hour of the show. We got thirty minutes left to go. We still got the car wreck of the day. If you have suggestions and nominations, you can always try and get them to us seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. But we're going before that. We're going to get to our final segment of the day, which is Wheel of Bits, and Wheel of Bits is going to be played for us by none other than Brian McDonald, who's going to throw things my way, and then we're going to talk about it with you. Don't go anywhere. It is the uh, Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ninety two five FM. Live in the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees. Now back to Joel and Jeremy. Back on the Bees, Branham doing some Cougar basketball tonight. So BMAC and myself taking you till the top of the hour at 6 p.m. Uh, rolling through before we get to anything more and get to the Wheel of Bits, I want to tell you one more time about Doc Linville. Look, Doc Linville, you can see it today if you're watching on YouTube and Twitch. Uh, the fact is Doc Linville did one heck of a job on my melon uh, and getting me my hair back. Uh, and I would speak for him and tell anybody about the fact that if you are suffering pattern baldness, thinning, or hair loss, and you're looking for an answer that's not the sprays and the creams and the foams that just mask the problem, Doc Linville and the Neograph procedure is the answer. He's the best in the business at doing it, and you get real results. He wanted to sit down and meet with me, a, 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 I guess, a, a year or so back and explain to me what the, the whole procedure was. I wasn't sure if I was going to be even open to it. When he started giving me the bullet points of how 95 to 99% of the follicles that he moves are going to be there for the rest of your life, and the fact that genetically you never lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head, and that's where he gets every third or fourth follicle to put where you need it most, and how it can drastically improve your overall appearance and your coverage area and all those things, I was in. I was sold. And then when I went through the procedure, and it was literally painless, and the results were seen almost instantaneously. And then in, six to nine months later, when you see the full results, could not have been happier. Everybody, including I walked into the gym today without a hat on, everybody was just going, oh, my God, where'd that hair come from? Couldn't believe that. Didn't know you had that. So you see the results. You see other people see the results, and it makes you feel better, too. Check them out today. Go to 975hair.com. You can get a free consultation with Doc and his staff. It normally costs 150 bucks, but because you listen to us, you get it for free. No signing on the dotted line. No obligation. Just you getting information that might be a game changer in terms of your hair. Check them out today at 975hair.com. 
It's the Killer Bees, and I honestly have no idea what's happening next. Could it be the next great big food debate? The biggest Joel rant of all time? Jeremy trolling someone to the point of crying? Or just some actual bees making some honey? Well, let's find out. It's time for the Wheel of Bits. Oh my goodness, would you look at this. What an enormous bit. Let's play Choose Only One. Did you, did you pick up what our uh, voiceover lady said there? Miss uh, Charlotte. Uh, yeah, S2 New 2? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I did not. Yeah, they gave they give names to these AI uh, generated voices, and that one happens to be Charlotte. But uh, I was going to go Sabrina. Sabrina, yeah, I could see, I could see that being her name. The voice sounds like a Sabrina, but she said we're playing choose only one. So I'm going to present you uh, an option of three people, and you're going to give me your one choice out of those three okay. to the question I ask you. So these are all Astros related. In the first one is going to be kind of uh, who would you choose out of these three? To have a huge bounce back season uh, from from injuries. All these are all starting pitchers who spent last time, or either all or part of last season okay. on the injured list. So we have Lance McCullers Jr. We have uh, obviously Luis Garcia and Jose Urquidy. If you could only choose one to when they get back, because obviously they're going to come back at different times. But when they get back, they're fully healthy and the, they're the best version of themselves. Who would you take between uh, McCullers, Garcia, and Arquiti? So you've just uh, you've eliminated one completely because one Lance McCullers is never going to be one hundred percent. Two, on, go with the question. Go we the question. never know if he's going to be effective or pitching ever again. So to me, he is the never-ending question mark that I can't count on. So therefore, I can't choose. Arquiti is who he is. We've seen him kind of bounce back and forth on the IL with his injuries, but he's been good even when he's good and he's got his best stuff. I don't know how great it is. Garcia is the guy that I really think is the answer to this question simply because when he is healthy, his stuff can prove to be extremely effective, better than average, and dare I say nasty at times. Even without the uh, rock the rock, the baby delivery? Yeah, I think that, you know what, just like all these other pitchers, and he's had more time than most to try and figure it out, to realize maybe he will be more health conscious too, to realize maybe he's got to get ready quicker to eliminate the, the the fact that he can't do the rock the baby as much. But I think his stuff, no matter how much he rocks or not, ha- has the best chance for succeeding at this point where they all are in their careers. And I think that the surgery... I fully expect that he's going to bounce back. He might have even have a little bit more velo, but I believe that he'll be as effective as he was previously and maybe more. Yeah, there's there's certainly an argument to be made there. I mean, sticking with, like, I, I know this question is living in a fantasy world, that, as you pointed out with Lance McCullers, but living in the fantasy world, I do think Lance McCullers Jr., if you can guarantee, like this question, like we're going with here, that once they return, they're fully healthy for at least the rest of the season, I think Lance has the ability to be the most transformative to the rest of this rotation. I think he, of all three of these guys, you perfectly nailed it, Arkady. Even at his best, Arkady's kind of just a guy. He's kind yeah. of just a fist starter. But Lance has the potential to be as good as your third, maybe even your second starter, if he's fully at his best. So I would go with Lance McCullers. But at 100% BMAC at this point in his career? Well, I mean, last time we saw him was the eight starts in 2022, I guess it was, and his ERA was under three for those eight starts. Look, Small I think, sample size, but he was really good. Like I said, I have learned to not trust when he will be back and how he will be when he comes back. But if you get primetime Lance McCullers, he's fully capable of being a top two starter in your rotation. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't know that you're ever going to get him back because I don't know how many curveballs he can still throw or is willing to throw, believes he can throw, and be as effective as he once was. 
Whereas I think Garcia, before he got hurt, we knew that he was one of the best up-and-coming pitchers in the American League. Yeah, certainly. So let's go to the uh, the offensive hitters for, again, for again this game being choose-only-one. I'm going to give you three offensive players that I think a lot of people have questions with their potential out, uh, upside this year. But if you can only pick one of these players to actually hit their upside, hit their full potential this year, who are you taking between uh, Jose Abreu, Jeremy Pena, and Jake Myers? Well, we know why I'm throwing the first. Who I'm throwing <laughs> I, I out first? Jake Myers you can take you. the bathwater. Yeah, you can take the you. baby. <laughs> you can take Jake Myers is confused deer in the headlights face and his fading abilities. And I don't care how much defense Jeremy says he plays. Jake Myers to me is out of this equation. I guess it comes to comes down to what you believe their upside actually is. But I they, believe he has extreme upside of joining another team by the All Star <laughs> break. That's what I believe. But if they hit their upside, whatever you believe that to be, of these three, you can only pick one: Abreu, Pena, or and we're crossing out Myers. See, to me, I think Pena's numbers are never going to be like off the charts. And we talked about small sample size on the negative with Tucker in the playoffs last year. I think. Small sample size on a positive was what he did in the playoffs when he won the American League uh, Championship Series MVP and then the World Series MVP. I don't expect that those are sustainable numbers for Jeremy Pena like a lot of people, I think, unfortunately did for his his following season. And last year, that's why they thought it was a letdown. I think Jeremy Pena is who he is with some modification. I think Abreu could still potentially hit for a very, very good average. And in a lineup that has a lot of hitters around him, that he could be productive. I think the power numbers are not going to ever be what they once were, and they never really were monsters. But I think if I had to pick one of those three, Pena just being average is fine. Myers I don't even factor into the equation because I don't want him starting the year in center field. And I think Abreu would have the biggest upside for this team because I think that he will start the year batting fifth. Yeah, and that's why I'm with you on this one. My answer was is also Jose Abreu because kind of like my answer with, with Lance McCullers, I, I'm taking the guy that could be – you know, have the biggest positive uh, boost to the lineup. And with Jose Abreu at worst hitting sixth, but probably fifth, where compared to, uh, you know, Jeremy Pena hitting eighth or ninth, if he's in that five or six spot and he is at his absolute upside, whatever that happens to be, then that lineup going from him in fifth to Yonner in sixth and the Chaz in seventh, that is a real long day for opposing starting pitchers. So I would I would go with Jose Abreu. Uh, one more before we get into uh, we get to breaking and uh, get to our last segment of the day. But uh, I'm going to ask you uh, pick one of these killer bees. See what see what I did there. Mm-hmm. The theme of the show, killer mm-hmm. bees. Pick one killer bee to add to this year's Astros team: Bagwell, Biggio, Berkman. If you could only add one of those. Prime Biggio, Prime Bagwell, Prime Berkman. Which killer B would you add to this roster? Uh, I mean, in their prime, it's got to be Bagwell. I think he had the best overall season the year that was cut short when he was going to be hands-down MVP. He would add instantly a ton of pop to the lineup. He still was a a hitter that hit for average. He was going to get you RBIs. He's a steady first baseman, so then you don't have to worry about a Brayu at all if you don't want to. Uh, I think that, you know, Biz, no, no slap in the face to him. The interesting and intriguing thing would be to me would be between Bagwell and it would be between uh, Berkman because Berkman switch hitting would be really, really interesting I'm and su- the fact that you need a bat. I'm surprised he didn't go Berkman simply for the fact that Berkman can play left field, with, yeah. which then puts Chaz back in center on Jake Myers' adios. 
Yeah, I just think overall. Bergman has, I mean, Bergman had 40 home run seasons as well. I mean, he didn't, you're right, like Bagwell's power was greater because Bagwell would have been well over 500 home runs if he hadn't spent 10 years of his career in the Dome. But Berkman had 40 home run power. He did, and the switch hitter also was interesting. That's, it. That's why I said it. it came down to me, Berkman over just the pure hitting prowess and the fact that you could play first base because Abreu could end up being a question mark again this year too. So you don't know what you don't know, but obviously if I had prime Jeff Bagwell playing first base at a high level and, and then bringing his batting average and all that extra pop to the lineup, I mean, that's that's to me – no matter what else they do, I don't know how much defense you got to play when you got a lineup that's that, that's that good. Yeah, certainly not. So there was no consideration to to cheat, cheating and putting because obviously Biggio is not going to play second, right? But there's no cheating consideration to putting Biggio at catcher. No, uh, I, I expect Yiner's going to be fine. I, and anything's an upgrade over Maldi offensively. So I think to me that's why it came down to to Berkman and to to Bags. And if you get prime Bags. Obviously, that's Hall of Fame for a reason. I mean, in the middle of your lineup with still a Jordan and everybody else that's capable, you need that second big bopper if you really want to push this lineup over the top. Yeah. And I think he would be that guy. Yeah, and, and that's you're kind of for the same reason, but different player. I'd probably lean Berkman, not only because he's the big bopper, as you mentioned, but then you also diversify your lineup a little bit. Like you said, switch, switch hitter. So yeah. when you're facing that right-hander, you got three lefties that you could really cause a problem when we get into get into the bullpen for the other team. But if you space them out and go left, right, left, right, left, right, you really cause a problem for that other uh, manager trying to put together his bullpen. Yep, no doubt. All right, we got one segment to go on the show. Don't go anywhere. We'll wrap it up with the car wreck of the day. Coming up next on the Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 FM. Uh-huh. You all right? My leg's broken. The ball's coming through. I'll give you a you brick. Where's my money? This is the car wreck of the day. Back on the bees, you know what time it is. The intro just told you so. It is our car wreck of the day. And, of course, car wreck of the day means a complete and utter disaster. The NBA officiating, Brian, has been an utter disaster all across the league this year. We saw it in the Knicks-Rockets game, though it worked out in the Rockets' favor. Knicks fans had an absolute fit over what happened there. And now last night happens, and surprisingly, Knicks fans not talking at all as a controversial no call at the end of the game with the Pistons up one. The Knicks lose the ball. Uh, Asar Thompson steals the ball. Uh, DiVincenzo runs into his legs like a NFL player. No call made. Knicks get the ball back, end up getting fouled, make one of two free throws, then get the ball again, end up winning the game. After the game, Monty Williams goes absolutely nuts. And yet, nothing can be done about it. Yeah, and let's let's actually hear that clip right now from Monty Williams because his rant, and I'm completely on his side on this, was was pretty awesome. The absolute worst call of the season, no call, and enough's enough. We've we've done it the right way. <clears throat> we've called the league. We've sent in clips. We're sick of hearing the same stuff over and over again. We had a chance to win the game, <clears throat> and the guy dove into Asar's legs, and there was a no call. That that's an abomination. You cannot miss that in an NBA game, period. And I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of our guys asking me, what more can we do, coach? That situation is exhibit A to what we've been dealing with all season long, and enough's enough. 
So it's interesting. You mentioned in the lead up there about Knicks fans. I mean, I saw Knicks fans on Twitter still asking for the NBA. Hey, when are you going to rule on the the Rockets Knicks ending? When are you going to end on the Rockets? Like they're going to go back and play the game. I don't know why fans get so caught up on the NBA ruling. What three, four weeks after? It's not going to change your place in the standings. But it's so funny the karma of the Knicks fans complaining about when are you going to fix this? When are you going to fix this? Well. You just got one back because you didn't deserve to to beat the Pistons. Like you said, it was almost like an NFL tackle uh, diving at a Sir Thompson's legs. And the referees, and we have the quotes if we if we want to get into it, he said after the game, he's like, yeah, uh, Sir Thompson touched it first. He should have been given credit. There should have been a loose, fall, uh, foul, loose ball foul there, and the Pistons obviously would have won the game. Well, and Monty Williams is referring to the fact that they've kind of minded their P's and Q's, followed the NBA protocol to do what you're supposed to do. But uh, a, a few games previous to that, there was an obvious traveling call that wasn't called, and it cost the Pistons yet another victory. And, and granted, the Pistons at this point in the season are probably happy to stack up losses. Yeah, they have, what, like eight wins? Yeah, but after that 20-some game losing streak, Monty Williams knows he's in the first year of a new deal where he's making almost as much money as any coach in the NBA, and he's got to earn his keep. And that was going to be another good win for a team that's been playing better at the Garden against the Knicks. Ironically, the other thing was that was supposed to be a Pistons home game, but the Pistons went further in the uh, midseason tournament, had to forfeit a home game. That was one of them. So they don't get the home cooking literally, and then they don't get the home cooking on a foul call that would have helped them immensely. Yeah, it's one of those things that it's a never-ending debate in sports, and we obviously talk about this a lot in baseball with the idea of robo-ops and getting the strike zone right. And I don't know how you fix this in the NBA because you certainly can't take out the human element of refereeing completely. But it's certainly in a situation like that, it's the end of the game, like literally the end of the game. There has to be some ability, and hopefully the NBA will take a look at this. There has to be some ability, and I know they have some replay, but to review in situations like a play like that and just use some common sense because the, like the referees that are at the game, yeah, are bad. The Pistons would have won. But that doesn't help the Pistons. No, it doesn't. It doesn't help the coach on his win-loss record when he's looking back at the end of the career. It doesn't help these players when they're... And filing a protest. Time. There's only been like a handful of protests that have been upheld over the course of the, the NBA. And I keep going back to the fact that instead of having to save in your back pocket the one challenge you get a game with maybe the chance to get another... It should be like the NFL. In the final two minutes, it's out of the coach's hands. Right. The league handles it at, at the control center. You get a buzz, like, hey, let's take a look at this. Absolutely. And the bottom line is get the call right. Yeah. Don't worry about whether you saved your extra review or not. It should be to get the call right so the outcome is legit. Yeah, I mean, that's because that's what I think we want to know as sports fans the most when you're watching these games. You just want to know, and obviously the NBA has had a problem with this with the referees in the past, not saying this is a Timothy Donaghy thing, but you just want to know that the result that you're watching, something you've spent, you know, two, if it's the NFL, three hours watching, you just want to know you spent that time and what you saw in the result that, you know, and the outcome was legit. Yeah, they got it right. Just get it right. At the end of the day, all we really want is to get the call right. And if you're able to do that, then, hey, whether your team won or lost, you have to be able to accept it. You can't accept it when they not only miss the call, but then after the game they go, my bad. Yeah, we missed yeah, it. That, that's almost the more infuriating part to me. I'd almost rather them say nothing than to tell me, oh, yeah, you, you were actually right to be mad about that. Yeah, exactly, because there's nothing you can do about it. So another, someone else that's uh, mad in sports right now is LeBron James. Uh, there was an ESPN mock draft on Monday that had his kid, Bronny, as the number 39 overall prospect. 
And LeBron was not happy about that. Had a quote. He had several tweets, which he later deleted. But the the money one was, and this is quoting LeBron exactly, can y'all please just let the kid be a kid and enjoy college basketball? The work and results will ultimately do the talking no matter what he decides to do. If y'all don't know he doesn't care about a mock draft and what it says, he just works earned, not given. I I know. I know it's it's funny like nepotism. Hello, yeah, earn, earn not earn, given earn when everything he's given. got right yeah, now has been given by his dad. He's a, he's a nepo baby for sure. But it's so funny that he talks about like wanting us to leave him alone when LeBron himself keeps bringing him his son into. He's telling everyone that he wants to stick around to play with Bronny. Yep, yep. He's saying after there was a game in January where they I believe they lost to the Grizzlies where he says. Bronny could play on this team right now. You can't tell us not to talk about Bronny when you're bringing up Bronny to us. And Bronny is only getting the love that he's getting from all of these mock drafts and all these ranking services because of what LeBron has said and because he pushed him. When he was a sophomore going into his junior year of high school, he was barely a three-star recruit. Suddenly, LeBron makes the comment about wanting to play with his Sunday. All all of a sudden, he's a four-plus star. Now now his star is rising. Then he makes the McDonald's High School All-American game, and he only averaged about 14 points a game in his high school career. SC gives him the scholarship. He he gets an NIL deal for a million dollars from Nike. Gee, I wonder how that happened. (laughs) And then his dad has the audacity to come back and say, now just let the kid play. When you force-fed him to the basketball world for the last four years yeah and it's so, it's so funny you mentioned the the million dollar deal with nike when especially when you go back to that line to earn not given i think that was more of a given million dollar nil deal but beyond just the fact that lebron keeps putting his kid's name into the public discussion with with sports media he's also look he's a number 39 overall prospect that's a drafted player now i would say averaging five points this year at usc is maybe not the 39th overall prospect i think they might actually be generous but if he's a ranked prospect, it's what is he? What does LeBron think is going to happen with the son? If he wants him to be an NBA player, and he's a ranked prospect playing at a major school in USC, we're going to talk about him. Well, first of it's, all, you can't avoid that. The heart issue has set him back, no matter sure. where he was. Sure. So he's probably it's in his best interest, especially if he has NIL deals over a million dollars, and he doesn't need the money. He should probably stay an extra year. Probably. But then when you look at it, because of the enticement of teams to say, "Well, if I get Bronny, I get LeBron," because they want to play together, unless they have to you know give up Bronny for a trade. Either way, my team wins if I take him. So that's the only reason why he's going to be a higher draft prospect right now. With the, what he's shown is because teams know from a marketing standpoint they're going to make dollars and they have a chance to get LeBron yeah absolutely I mean even if even right now obviously if you took him just based upon his ranking 39 that's a second round pick I could see back into the first round because we I, I think you'll agree with this once you get past I don't know 14 15 in the first round of the draft to me, everything's a second-round pick at that point. I know Cam Whitmar would like to award yeah, with you. There, there's obviously really good players that come from those range. There's always exceptions, but it feels like it becomes a a kind of a, a shot in the dark way quicker than in other drafts. So I could see a team back into the first round, 27, 28, taking a shot on Bronny. But there, I mean, that all goes back to I mean, LeBron can't reasonably expect. 
us as sports media not to talk about Bronny right. when he's talking about, I want to play with Bronny. Bronny could help us right now. And he's going to be drafted in the NBA draft. Why will we not talk about And the, the thing is, too, LeBron has played his entire career trying to feed off the media and get the media to do what he wanted him to do. Right. Yeah. So now, all of a sudden, he doesn't like the fact that he doesn't have control and the media is saying what they see, not what he wants them to see. And so it's, it's completely hypocritical, but it's also not surprising based on LeBron's whole career and how long he's been in the, the public eye. No, certainly not. Uh, so uh, let's make. Who's it a, winning? Yeah, I, I, I want to say LeBron. Do you? I, I, are you yeah, I, I mean the NBA rest? officials. We kind of have grown to expect it, so yeah. well, we can go with LeBron. That's All right, fine. LeBron is your official car wreck of the day. There you go. LeBron James is our winner, and tomorrow uh, Jeremy should be back. Everything should be back to normal. But I appreciate Brian McDonald not only for the hard work as always, but for joining me for the second half of the show. And we appreciate you and the Hive for being a part of it as well. You guys have a great night, and we will talk to you again tomorrow on the Killer Beast.